Nick is the creative mind behind one of the most impressive works of kinetic new media arts I've ever seen. The piece is called Morph, and it's truly a genius mix of form, motion, light, and sound. I saw the work come through my social media feeds, and I immediately wanted to get in touch. Our conversation was mostly about the creative process. I wanted to understand how Morph went from concept to reality. Him and his team were hired by a group out of Austria to produce the piece for a gallery show in a renovated castle. The final setting for this could not be a better contrast to their high-tech installation. His co-creators developed the software used to drive the light, motion, and sound, and they're geniuses in their own right. I definitely look forward to meeting them as well. They all came together in Berlin, and they worked out of a makerspace called Motion Labs to finish the build. Definitely check out their portfolio page before you listen to this episode so you get a sense of the project that we're talking about. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Yeah, dude, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to to have like a longer conversation with you and um and find out more about uh about morph really. Yeah, cool. Yeah, same. So um you're back in Australia now, um, and you're through yep. quarantine, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I had 14 days quarantine, it was pretty boring, and now I'm straight back into lockdown here. Fuck. So slightly yeah, more man. freedom, but not much. Well, I've been reading, you know, I've been reading uh, news articles about people getting hyphy all over the place in uh, Australia. Yeah, I mean, everyone's getting the same thing AT. everywhere, pretty much. Sorry? It's the same thing everywhere, pretty much. You know, the United yeah. States, like anywhere, France, anywhere there's a lockdown, people are like, fuck you. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, hopefully all this vaccination stuff helps something out. It's getting a bit crazy. Yeah, so what's the story with vaxes in Australia? Are you guys pretty, like, is is vaccination, like, what percentage are you guys in terms of uh, percentage of population vaxxed? I think fully is like 20 to 30 um, percent. I think it's like picking up pretty quickly now, but uh, it was a really slow rollout. Was, yeah, it's been a pretty hot topic in politics and all that sort of stuff. But oh, yeah, I'm seems sure. Like, seems like it's starting to happen. Um, but there's like people, people want to get it, but they can't. There's just not enough. Really? But so it it's, seems like that's ramping up for sure. Yeah. So it is an it, it is an access issue. Yeah. 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 It's funny because in the United States we have plenty of vaccines, and uh, half of the country doesn't want to take them. Half of the country is yeah. like, ah, oh, this is a fucking microchip. <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy, man. It, it, like, yeah, I mean, really my microchip's is... sitting in my right pocket. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. It's like firmware bugs in the human brain. You know what I mean? It's like the more advanced people get, it's like all of these things. You're like, whoa, man, this is a like <laughs> people. People are prone to conspiracy theories. You know what I mean? People are prone to this way of thinking, and it's it's totally like, you know, the 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 fucking monkey brain coming back yeah. and like not knowing how to deal with uh, with modern yeah. society. Yeah, it's like it's both just equally disturbing and also entertaining in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fuck. Well, yeah, here we are. Common sense seems to be prevailing most, most of the way, which is good. Yeah. So it looks like you've got like your, your workshop all set up behind you. Yeah. This is sort of where it started. I get, well, not start. It's all started in my bedroom, um, while I was at university, but 
since then I've moved to a place with a garage. Yeah. Set up a little truck. Organized. Yeah, I mean that it's usually temporarily that way. Um, I can yeah. do a bit of walk. Um, that's actually the the old one. Old mall. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, printer and just yeah, tools in the CNC machine. Well, it's funny how it's like your your it's like your background. Everybody's got a different Zoom background, you know. And uh, <laughs> some people do the fake Zoom background, but then some people just like clean up their clean up their environment as best as possible, and then you know have have whatever. Your Zoom background is very appropriate. <laughs> you know what I mean? it's like it's like a nice tidy workshop yeah i mean i try and keep it tidy I don't, it, i'm gonna pack it up soon because i'm gonna try and go back to germany but um yeah i've always i've always wanted a space like this uh, yeah finally got it and now i have to move out but <laughs> yeah yeah so um, yeah, hopefully on to bigger and better things soon yeah yeah, well, that's cool. So you're headed back to Germany then. That's that's the plan is to go back to Europe and continue working with that same group of people, same crew. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I, it's not super clear what's going to happen with the next, like where the next project's going to come from or whatever. But I mean, that's the intention. Um, yeah, yeah. One of them is back here in Australia because he's just had a kid, so he'll probably be sticking around for a little while. But the other guy, I don't know. We'll see. But it's we can we work pretty well remotely anyway, so that's just, cool. I mean, I think everybody yeah. does, man. We're in this mode where like you can really work with people wherever, um, yeah. especially on things like design, like in the design phase of a project. Yeah, and that's what we did initially when we first landed this project because they were both in Europe at the time and I was here. So yeah, before we'd signed anything, we'd started work um, doing design and you know talking about the fit, all the features and all that. And it worked, I mean, it was a bit weird with the time zones, but it worked pretty well. Yeah. And realistically, I'm the only one who really needs to sort of tie down into a set location for a fixed point once things actually get going because I've actually got to build the things. But apart yeah. from that, these guys are pretty mobile. That's cool. So let's describe this project for people because, you know, I've been looking at it. I saw it on Facebook, actually, of all places. And I was just like, what the fuck is that? It's an orb. It's kinetic. So it's a faceted orb mm -hmm. made of many tiled hexagons. Yeah. And uh, it is it the 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 hexagons protrude in and out um, on the Z axis. And then yeah. they're also illuminated. So it's this like moving rippling glowing orb uh it's just one of the most unique pieces i've ever seen but it's also super it's like elegant it's very simple um and elegant i mean it's very complicated but it looks you know visually it looks simple it makes sense visually um, yeah but where did this uh where did this concept come from like how did this idea come about and uh yeah like what was the seed I guess the seed was maybe like six years ago when I'd done a, it was basically an introductory course to electronics at university. It was just a semester elective and I discovered, okay, this is pretty cool. And that, I mean, that was the seed to start to get involved with electronics. And then I discovered that I could use motors and LEDs and 
um, I quickly became pretty fascinated by the concept of uh, tangible media um, mm-hmm. coming out of, I think it was a concept coming out of MIT. And they had a bunch of really cool precedents for that. Um, so initially, that I was the, trying the to media, my own. Is that the Media Lab? The MIT, yeah, media, MIT lab? media Lab, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So initially, I, was, I had my own ideas for like just planar stuff, uh, quite similar, but I was really wanting to look more at the, the surface of that and the textures and materials that you could use. Um, and then like, I, I guess I always had that in my mind, but then it wasn't, and I did another course after that where I built another one, uh, which is a little bit bigger, but still kind of crappy. And it wasn't until a few years later where I met uh, Josh, one of the other guys uh, in the MindBuffer guys, so it's Josh and Mitch. And he was my supervisor for my honors project. And I didn't know what I was going to do for that project, but um, basically ended up pursuing this because I was looking at, I was just looking at like applications for tangible media and these uh sort of physical interfaces between data and humans beyond the mouse and a keyboard. Um, But I knew I couldn't go for some like super practical applications. So that's when I diverged to the more artistic application for it. Um, Using the research that I'd already done. Um, because that so allowed a bit just, more freedom to, you know, make things bigger and not so functional. And I've got a, Josh, a background in the, art as well. Josh was, the, Josh was the programmatic side of, uh, is, is he doing the, the programming for the, this piece? So, yeah, Josh, Josh Batty, he, Dr. Batty, that's his real name. <laughs> and um, Mitchell Nordin. So Josh was my supervisor, but they've been uh a duo, I guess, uh, called MindBuffer for about 10 years. And they started off doing electronic music. Uh, they actually classically trained musicians, but eventually they wanted to build their own music, uh, own instruments and tools. And that sort of led them down the rabbit hole of programming. Isn't it crazy, man? How like, yeah, like electronic musicians, right? Yeah. Those tools lend themselves so readily to, to uh, generative light patterns. Like some of the most amazing light pattern yeah. programming I've ever seen comes think, from tools that are essentially LFOs yeah. and, and yeah, you know, it's the same tool. It's, it's like creating these, these patterns that resonate with your brain, you know, yeah. and that can be expressed visually or auditorily. But mm-hmm. it's still, it's like the waveforms and the patterns and, uh, and your brain just like, it makes intuitive sense. And when I'm looking at this, you know, I'm looking at the, 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 the video of this thing on the, on the augment, augment L web website, how do you spell, how do you say it? Augmental. augmental. Yeah. Augmental website. And it's just like the programming is fucking genius, man. Like it is an it's amazing really, yeah. machine, yeah. but the way that patterns flow across this thing is beautiful it's art you know it's like mathematical art (laughs) yeah and there's like insane amounts of maths in there i mean i think both of them are doing far more maths i mean even i was doing far more maths than i ever thought i would hated maths in school but yeah yeah, i mean it's amazing i think just programming in general 
uh, if you're coming from a musical background, particularly electronic music, is just like such an ideal sort of entry into it. And you could because you have these appreciations for also for timing as well and for precision and speed uh, yeah. that may not come from elsewhere. And I think that was really key in this project because there's so much data pumping through this thing and it's all uh, happening in real time. Yeah. And so you've, you've got to like hit the mark all the time and manage your memory and like everything has to be super precise. So it worked out really well. I mean, I don't, I think if, yeah, if you're looking for like programmers and stuff, like have, if they've come from that direction, super useful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like most of the stuff that we do is very, um, very abstract. You know, there's, yeah. there's not a lot of contextual content that we use in our pieces. And I'm just looking at this and being like, you know, it would be cool to work with, uh, with both you guys or both, both sides of your, your team yeah, yeah. in different, in different, uh, you know, different capacities. So, yeah. So you're back to Germany. You're going to, link up and, and try and continue, uh, continue working on, I'm sure that people are going to see this man and you're going to get requests <laughs> for other similar pieces without a doubt. I mean, it's just, you know, this yeah. thing is too, uh, too iconic, not to, not to generate, um, additional projects. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully I mean, we'd love to build more and new and different things. And, um, yeah, which sort of, there's, there's some interest there, but, we're just managing all that and I mean the, the, the tricky thing about them is this sort of installation I mean as you would know is it's very expensive and sometimes it's hard to get people over the line to you know uh, go ahead with the project but um, yeah yeah generally I mean, we've I, had a really good response from it yeah I think that it's you know in the end it's really it is hard to sell complex art with cutting edge technology because it is so expensive, but I mm. think that there are, you know, there's opportunity to do that. You just have to connect with the right, you know, the right groups. And, and yeah. as, you know, as you, your company grows, you'll, you'll find that easier, you know, and, and people will find you really. Um, but just the principles behind this piece, you know, it's, it's kinetic and it's incredibly, um, seamless and it's it's very well programmed like the illumination is is uh really elegant and i think mm -hmm. that um those concepts you know you don't have to do the same thing twice in fact you know maybe 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 it's best not to do the same thing twice you know but taking those taking the principles of you know the design principles that went into this mm -hmm. and and carrying them on to other form factors and other uh other other applications, um, you know, they're universal principles in, in terms yeah. of build, you know, and build quality. Yeah, yeah, the, absolutely. The, yeah. And that's what really excites us about it is, I mean, the, I guess the success of this is due to a lot of the modularity behind it, both, I mean, in programmatically and physically. Yeah. And this whole project, I mean, once it got to that stage where I was doing the research project, uh, it was based on the project was the, the thing, like the module. Um, and then the, the, you're talking the about the, hex, like the individual hexagon, the, the kinetic hexagon was yeah. the module. 
and that, I mean, well, obviously that, yeah, that's we just, call that a node now, but yeah, because there's more mod modularity within the larger sphere. Mm. But yeah, that was the the whole goal was to make this thing that you could scale effectively inf infinitely, uh, given that you've got the right you know data overheads and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, just yeah, like, I mean that that sort of developed even further into the whole system wide build as well. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So this thing lives in, in some artist's castle. <laughs> yeah. is it like, say is in the Netherlands or something or So it's in uh Austria in a uh place yeah. called Saint Veit. Um and it's sort of, it's fairly I mean, I'm not from Austria, but to me, it's fairly remote. It's about four hours south on a train from Vienna. So it's right. You know, man, right I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this castle, and I'm just like, I, all I can think of is like Count Dracula with a hard on for New Age New Media Tech. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's, it's like, super strange, but who is like this guy? So beautiful. <laughs> and there's, and that's like, you know, one of hundreds of castles in the area because, you know, it's such an ancient, there's so much history in the area. And then you've you just know, got so my, my ex, my ex partner lives in, uh, in Barcelona and she was telling me, she was like her and a group of friends found out that somehow that in like France, they're giving away castles, but you have to commit to 10 years of improvement on these things. And you have to, you have to put in like X number of dollars in uh, you know like capital improvements into these uh these ancient structures but you can they'll give you a castle but you have to That's do something cool. with it yeah and i'm just like you know you, you hear about it. it's like yeah there's hundreds and hundreds of castles in europe and they're just yeah. like what they're just nothing's happening with them they're just like sitting there yeah i mean this one was a ruin for a long time i think it's from the 12th century and uh in, re in its re in its recent history it's been um, a ruin for a long time until the last like 10 years or so. And then this guy somehow, I don't know how he came into to custody of it, but he spent millions on it, developing it. Well, they probably gave it to him, but I yeah, mean, maybe. You know, in the end, it's a castle. It's just like, you know, dark and made of stone and probably wet inside, you know, leaky. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you just got to rebuild the whole thing. There's this architect yeah. in Barcelona. I can't remember his name, but he took a like a it's like a concrete plant a concrete factory or maybe it was like a grains i don't know it was, it was some like series of silos a very industrial mm -hmm. abandoned industrial plant and he turned it i mean it was, essentially it was like you know like a like a mid-century castle but like an industrial plant and he turned it into his 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 gallery and uh it's just a, a beautifully beautifully designed um yeah, I think I've so come across this studio. one. It's awesome. Yeah. So, what's this guy's deal? You, you, did you know him personally? Did he find you guys? Did you get to hang out with him? Was he cool? Um. So the people approached us. Uh, it was Andre Heller, who's a, a sort of highly acclaimed multimedia artist from way back when in oh. Germany and Austria and that sort of region, and. I think at one point, he, I mean, he probably still is a bit of a household name there. We'd not heard of him uh, him before, but his uh, manager, I guess, reached out to us, found us, and said that they were interested in uh, curating a few a 
piece of ours for the gallery that they were building in this castle. I don't know. The act, the client is different. So we worked for the, the artist or the curator for this exhibition. Yeah. And then they dealt so with it's the, an, it's the an exhibition. client who actually owns the castle. Yeah. So people are going to come through and see this. It, it is like an exhibition space. Yeah, yeah. So the client owns a watch brand called Jacques Le Mans. Um, a watch brand? It's, yeah. It's oh. like a boutique watch brand, I guess. And yeah. they, this whole thing is like a like an experience built around this brand, I guess. You, you can go there. And there's a winery and so the whole hill has been sculpted uh, in a new way to grow wine. Like you can't usually grow wine in this region, but they sort of just replaced all the topsoil, shaped it, built a, a hotel at the bottom and then just finished the castle here. And then you can go up there, buy some watches, go through the gallery. There's also an opera theater, like the concert hall. Um, and it's all really beautiful. Like it's, uh, yeah. I guess the, the concept is that you go there for like a nice sort of experience. You do all the activities there. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because like this, this really does, um, it makes a lot of sense for, for a watch brand, you yeah. know, like the, the, the kinetic nature of it is, is very, yeah. you know, it's mechanical. It, 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 it would, it fits like a, with a watch brand. I can see this being like. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely still this a huge contrast. It's really interesting being in that space. Like you contrasted it between these like super old walls and then this new tech. The whole gallery is all new media installations. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a really interesting approach. That's very cool, man. It's very cool. So um, I'm gonna have to go visit Europe now. Go see this castle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish it was easier to do. I mean, the I'd love to have more people come and see it. It's a shame that it's so far away, but Four I think hours anyone who does make the trip would. I mean, it would be totally worth it. It's a beautiful area. It's sort of like a, yeah. a pilgrimage to go and see them off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, when you're what, what city are you in in Germany? When you go back, when are you going to stay Berlin. in Berlin? Yeah. Of course, of course. There's yeah, a lot I mean, it's going a, it's on. A in great. Berlin. Sorry, there's a lot going on in Berlin. Yeah, it's a really awesome spot for this sort of thing. There's a lot of art and a lot of like you know, hard tech startup stuff. There's a great scene for it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we could have been as successful as we were if we weren't there, just because there was so much support around, and we were in a makerspace or like a yeah, sort of like a makerspace thing there that's based around um, hard tech startups. Yeah, so we had this yeah. whole community of people around us, um, but we could draw on their knowledge um, for you know for things that we weren't sure of, or you know to make connections in the industry. And, and yeah, I mean, I think if we did it in isolation or in a different city, even would have been much much harder. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So were you connected with other artists in Berlin, like other groups? You said that uh, you were hanging out with Christopher, uh, Christopher Bowder of White, White Void. Yeah. Were they involved in, in the, the process at all? or? 
that was just uh so one of the uh founders of the um the makerspace that we were in made that connection with us he was, i don't know what his connection is with him but basically they were touring the space we were in and said hello one day and then uh basically said oh you know come see this come see the demo of it when it's done and he did and was impressed so yeah i mean it's, it's a perfect the perfect place for this because uh, there's so many people doing the same sort of things and then they just sort of walk past you and you're like okay cool yeah yeah that's cool man makerspaces are so cool it's like there's such a necessary ingredient for the scene you know what i mean because they yeah. they're it's uh they're like a physical venue where people of like mind can can mix you know and share ideas and there's not a lot of other you know outside of um like a university setting there's not a lot of other yeah, places absolutely. like makerspaces where and makerspaces can be really informal you know like yeah. they're they're the lab or the incubator but they're also informal so you can just kind of hang out and and meet people yeah and that's exactly what this was um it's a really cool community there and everyone's everyone's equally crazy and doing weird things and it's just yeah a proper melting pot of different skills and backgrounds yeah yeah it's good to you can just like if you're frustrated with a problem you can just walk out and have a chat or a coffee with someone or and maybe they'll have like the perfect solution for you or, <laughs> or even just a good opportunity to take a break yeah well my previous business partner is actually living in berlin now so i got a couch mm -hmm. there and uh you know i've been saying for the past couple months if it gets smoky here we have like you know this is forest fire season in california yeah, right. and um if it gets bad enough i'll i'll bounce you know probably i'd probably try and head to berlin at least for for a month um the thing is is that shit is just really busy right now we've got a lot of physical projects that are are happening and i feel yeah. you know i'm kind of uh i'm stuck i'm stuck here trying to manage these projects and it's a good thing because they're really exciting projects but at the same mm. time my uh my hopes and dreams of of bouncing to germany for a month are you know <laughs> yeah it can difficult. make it tricky to travel yeah exactly the sort of projects that really lock you down <laughs> yeah. well i mean i think what we do is is you know there's two phases there's there's a mm. virtual design phase right where where yeah. it's very much like you can do that remotely you can work with teams all over the world you know etc and then there's a build phase which is very mm. you know you have to be present you have to be there in in the you know in the location and uh mm yeah you know it's uh you know i look at my friends who work remotely and they're all like yeah you know peace we're, we're moving to you know tahoe we're gonna you know climb climb rocks and uh you know fucking ski <laughs> all year i'm like man i wish i could do that i just can't because so much of what you know our studio is is a physical you know we build things and it's um it's hard to it's hard to get away yeah, it's one of those trade-offs, I guess. You could choose like the the really rock solid nine to five. You get the holidays here, here, and here, and your weekends oh, there and there. No, or you do crazy cool stuff that just excites you every day. And then, but sometimes you yeah, the trade-off 
I guess we have is you just got to lock yourself in for a little while and finish it. Yeah, it's, it's funny too because like nine to five seems really relaxing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, you own, if you own a business, you're like nine to five. Wow, those hours are so sane. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? But at the same time, if you've ever been there for a long time in a place where you don't like it, it's just like, oh man, it's mind numbing. <laughs> oh my God, no, no, I could never do a nine to five. Yeah. I don't think I'm employable in that way, really. But, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just saying it, it, it to not have the responsibility, you know, can be very mm-hmm. attractive sounding, at least for a little while. But, um, yeah, yeah no, I, I, mean, I, I do miss aspects of it, but many of it is, many of it I really don't miss. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the thing is, dude, it's like, I don't think that you'll ever have to do that, you know, with yeah. the with the skill set that you have, you might get sick of, of freelancing because it, it, it's hard, you know, it, it's, it really sucks sometimes because it's just like a nonstop hustle. Um, however, you, you don't have to, you know, like you could mm-hmm. easily freelance forever. You could easily just be involved in cool projects from one to the next to the next mm-hmm. your entire career and it would be fine. But, um, you are always hustling. I'm, I was actually just talking to the last guy that I talked to on this podcast. We're actually working on a project now, um, uh, Bill Galusha, and he is like a career um, director. You know, he, he does like creative direction for um, new media arts projects, and he's really good at what he does. And uh, he was, we were talking, and he's just like, man, I'm sick of the hustle. You know, like I, I would love to just be hired by one of these studios and just have that stability um so you know it it is a trade-off it's a trade-off between you know the excitement of being like oh i could go anywhere and do anything with any company yeah yeah. fuck that means i have to find anywhere with any company (laughs) all the time yeah i still haven't figured out what's better but I don't know. I mean, either way, even just any sort of work in this industry, I think we've landed in a really cool space. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, when you were in Germany, when you were, you were hanging out at the makerspace, like what other groups were there, you know, like who else did you come into contact with and what were they doing? What were some of the other cool projects that you saw? I mean, there's all sorts. I, I think it's the place is called motion lab in Berlin. Um, and they, uh, I mean, you, I would say usually geared more towards mobility startup projects. Mobility. Um, I'm looking them up right now. Actually, I just, just Googled them. Yeah, it's a cool spot. Um, so that's like, I mean, any sort of mobility could be like in terms of disability or even uh, uh, cycling cars, all that sort of stuff. Oh my God, it's, stuff. Your, it's your sphere. Your sphere is on their website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, there's there's not limited there's all sorts of people in there um making some really cool stuff like a friend of mine's making uh prosthetics that are uh, accessible to third world countries um yeah so anyone can afford them and and it's an amazing project product there's people doing um uh, art some kinetic art uh for festivals kind of uh almost similar but much much simpler and more elegant than <laughs> what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, what else is it? People printing with clay, uh, people making 
uh, like mobility aids for injuries, but they're like fluid actuated. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at their homepage, and I, I saw um, it's like a like a flat sheet of of what looks like you know some kind of um, like porous material, and um, they're pumping air into it, and that forms yeah. like a grid a grid shape in the in the 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 fabric. Super cool. Yeah, man. it's like soft robotics, but applied to prosthetics almost. It's yeah, I was really reading about that. Man. So a lot of like biotech, you know, like. Um, essentially like like nanoscale medical machines work on those principles yeah right? it's like yeah. it's like mechanical pumps and uh yeah. and that's how they create motion super fascinating yeah it's really cool man i love the bus i've just got like a bus parked in the middle of the space yeah it's super random <laughs> but cool, yeah, it's pretty iconic i mean it's there's and everyone there's people's artworks or projects or you know finished products everywhere so you've got inspiration everywhere you walk um it's really cool there's i mean there's inspiring people but also inspiring products and art everywhere yeah it's a really good nice space to uh, encourage creativity and you then you're gonna go back to, well is that where you're gonna work out of if you uh if you go back to berlin yeah, probably. The other good thing about it is they've got quite a lot of equipment. So like, you know, CNC's, lasers, uh, electronics lab. Um, so you don't have to lash out for the larger stuff. You can just, you know, figure out your own smaller hand tools. and They have hand tools as well. But the good thing about it is you can build your own. I mean, if, you can, if you've got a space, it's kind of, the space is at a premium. But if you've got a space, you can build your own sort of, workshop within within this workspace and then still have access to these amazing tools and facilities yeah and it's really flexible like it, which what is you mean, that's what encourages so many people to go there just like hours and you can just do whatever you want yeah it's a 24-hour facility um you get access um whenever you want and then just got to do your inductions on the equipment and you can use it whenever you want that's super there's, cool. Yeah, there's all sorts of printers as well, um, including like SLA, massive WASP, uh, Delta printers. Wow. Yeah. So did you like, find that the machines were well calibrated? A lot of the maker spaces that I've come across, it's like the machines are great, but like people use yeah. them all the time and they just get, you know, they get sloppy. You know, the, the machines themselves get kind of, uh, kind of loose. <laughs> yeah, they definitely cop a real beating. Um, yeah but i mean <laughs> the more critical stuff i would say is if people really need it they they get it themselves if they're using it um like super frequently but the other stuff that's available there is definitely good enough to you know push out prototypes and they're always working on them they don't stay broken for very long if they do break which is really yeah good. yeah yeah but That's yeah, cool. they're definitely cover beating when you got hundreds of people using them every day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the challenge here in, in the Bay Area. We had uh, like a couple maker spaces and well, there was like a franchise and essentially it went under because I don't know exactly why. I mean, I'm sure it was financial, but um, they just couldn't couldn't pay the rent. San Francisco is an insane city in terms of rent. Um, 
I wonder now, you know, after like rent has come down significantly in the city. And I wonder now if, if it would be easier for a space like that to exist. Berlin is special because, mm. you know, I know it's gentrifying and I understand that rent is mm. going up, but it's still, you know, you can have, there's a lot more space, first of all, in Berlin than there is in San Francisco between East and West Berlin. Uh, and then there's a lot more empty spaces that are just kind of like cheap. Yeah. I mean, it still seems super tricky to find spaces, particularly now with the gentrification of things. But I agree, it's a pretty unique place where, I don't know, it just it seems like a better ecosystem to start something like this it's like if you can get the space it's a lot easier to maintain it maybe but yeah yeah i mean i know they're having they're having trouble with you know almost growing too quickly they need more space but right finding it in the like inner city is tricky there's definitely some i mean there's all sorts of massive old abandoned warehouses everywhere but not all of them are super easy to get. Yeah, and I'm sure not all of them are suited for every type of application. Yeah. Yeah. So what they've got you guys did most really well. of... Say that again? So uh, what they've got works really well. Yeah, you're talking about Motion Lab. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it seems, like, it seems like they've got their shit dialed. And that's awesome, man. It seems like a real hub for the community, and that's really mm. cool. You, so you'd say that the new media art scene is very alive and, I mean, like, I know it is, but you you experienced the new media art scene was very alive and well in Berlin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not necessarily just in that place. There's a few artists there, but um, I mean, you can just you know throw a stone and hit some of the greatest electronic musicians ever, and some of them are doing new media art as well to you know augment their projects. I was just listening and, to a podcast and it was all about the uh, the birth of the techno scene in uh, yeah. in Berlin and how it actually yeah. went hand in hand with uh, the 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 techno scene in Detroit and how there were there were two cities in a in a similar socioeconomic place back in yeah. like you know really post uh, Berlin Wall so it was like right when when synthesizers were becoming available like analog synthesizers were becoming cheap widely available and people were experimenting with them and uh at the same time the 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 warehouse spaces in, you know like the berlin wall fell and all of a sudden there was just a flood of empty warehouse space in yeah, East yeah. berlin and people who were throwing these parties were like you know they were able to advance the scene because they had physical space to to uh, to host these, it's very similar to the makerspace scene. You know, it's like mm -hmm. when you have um, like a like an interest, like a group of people interested in a common a common subject. You need a physical space to to facilitate that interest and to foster yeah. that community. You know, without physical space, it's very hard to do that. And you know, now we can do that online. It's becoming easier to do that virtually. But yeah. um, I still think that there's there there needs to be a commons, you know, there needs to be a a place or a hub where people can gather, hang out, and socialize in person and uh, and share ideas. Yeah, I think that personal aspect's really important. Like, it's of course you can get work done remotely, but I don't know. There's some there's that that personal aspect 
adds a bit more weight to the ideas that are being thrown around because you can like you can discuss it and you don't have to schedule that discussion or whatever you can, it just happens and then you're like oh i'll go back and i've had an idea or whatever well that's we have, the... we have people walking in whatever we're pretty open workshops so yeah <laughs> just yeah. like always ideas flowing around and that's then that's sort of only really available when people are physically present that flow i guess yeah it's funny man that's what i'm, I'm struggling with that now because mm. there are all these people all over the world that i want to mm. work with you know what i mean mm. but at the same time when it comes to like actually building things and installing things it's like i don't know how to do that with people who aren't here do you yeah. know what i mean it's like yeah. i need to figure out a way to bridge that gap so that so yeah i mean maybe it's just like so we have this amazing space here called the Lumen Labs, and it's uh, yeah. it's kind of a, it, it is a maker space, but it's like an artist community. Mm-hmm. But there's, it's like not only is it a lab space, place to build and work, and offices, but it's also, um, you know, it's people can stay here. They can they can like sleep, you know, post up and like be here for for weeks at a time. Um, you know, and maybe that's part of the solution is having you know like hosting artists from other places, you know, and, and just like hosting people for like a couple weeks or a couple months or whatever it is. And then, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Allowing them to yeah, be I mean, here. If, hopefully we can get that sort of movement happening, like you know, actually being able to travel a bit more freely. So well, I, think, I think that you can absolutely do that. I mean, I think that yeah. well, you could also do that in Berlin where you host people in Berlin I mean, because mm-hmm. space is cheaper there. We lucked out, man. This space is cheap and it, it allows us to do what we do, you know? Um, yeah. Physical yeah. space. It's really important. People working with each other in person, super important. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you're building things. I mean, I think even just in general, it's just, even if you do most of your work remotely, there's just got to be a point where you, you come together and actually interact face-to-face to work out problems yeah so your team you said one of them was back in australia um yeah. and then there's another guy who's in berlin he's in um spain at the moment oh shit he so will... you're remote no matter what you're, you're you guys gonna be working remotely regardless yeah i mean well, they had no reason to sort of be together once this project uh finished because it wasn't like one directly after so i mean it's every chance that we might, you know, regroup at some point when new projects come up, but, you know, for the work that we need to do together now, it's not really required to be all in one place. Yeah. And we can do our own projects and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What definitely being together with them in this space was super useful when we were, you know, right, going really hard on it because it just gives you so much agility to you know, just have discussions and solve problems there and then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were really, like, really working super closely because every, every decision, uh, even though we were working on, I guess, very separate components of it, every decision was very interrelated. Yeah. So tell me about the process of building Morph. Like what, yeah. how long was the entire build? 
So originally we only had a deadline of like four months, something insane like that. And we were fully prepared to try and do that. <laughs> Probably yeah. killed ourselves in the process. I was going to say, man, it seems, but, um, it seems ambitious. Yeah. Uh, but then the project was getting pushed back from the client side anyway because of COVID stuff. So then we got until February. Um, unfortunately, we had already been working to that deadline. So we'd made a lot of decisions that probably could have used a little bit more time in the oven. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, um, we, we just set this, basically when we started, we just dropped this calendar on a whiteboard and it was the craziest looking thing you've ever seen. Basically we're just doing like massive, massive milestones every single day to yeah. uh, get things done. And the only thing really that was slowing us down was like supply issues from, you know, various suppliers or fabricators or whatever. Dude, it's crazy, right? It's like, yeah. we're, I'm, I'm wondering, like, can I get simple shit like LED chips? Like, yeah. can I get them? You know, it's, it's a real problem, man. And it's almost like the only thing that could fuck the, progress that we're making right now and like how how we're growing is like mm. well, what if i can't get what if i can't get stuff like led chips that would end the party real quick <laughs> yeah i mean we almost missed out on a motor driver chip um because i mean it was in stock all the time i was doing all the ecad design but then as soon as we went to order they're all gone everywhere and we're like fuck 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 like super critical component because we've done all this design work for it. Um, and then luckily we found one place that had just enough. So we've had to right. buy it and then ship it to the PCB manufacturer in China. Yeah. But so you ship, you I mean, ship them, you ship the, you ship the parts to the, the, the assembly house. So the, for this particular component, cause we couldn't get it anywhere else and they couldn't yeah. get it either. Yeah. But the, the biggest challenge was just, like one, people not uh, living up to their word and doing things on time, but also just, it was super strange, like begging people to take your money in the first place. Right. <laughs> like justifying that your project is real, please treat it seriously. Let me give you the money to actually buy the components. It was interesting. really weird so dynamic. Who you, and I think who were you, who were you running? That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I've I've had similar problems. Just people taking you seriously, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the, so. You, you, as soon as you put art in front of it, and it's just like <laughs> interesting. So, were you were you running into that with the the manufacturing companies or who who specifically uh, suppliers generally? Um, yeah, particularly if we were trying to keep it within Germany, I think part of that would have been because we did we don't none of us speak any German. Um, but we were able to find plenty of people who spoke it within these companies. Um, what, what, I don't know. Parts were you, what parts were you sourcing in Germany? Uh, so we wanted to source the, the stepper motors in Germany, even though they would have been made in China, but, um, just so we could have, you know, it was quite a critical component. We wanted it to be reliable. We found a supplier that was within a reasonable price range. But then we had to bail yeah. on them because they, you know, for for months and months they were saying, "Yep, yeah, we can do this within two, uh, 
four or six weeks or whatever. <laughs> then we go to Preston's actually place an order and it was a month before we got a reply after just like incessantly bugging them and wow. then as soon as then we got when we got a reply uh they're like oh no actually that timeline is not going to work it'll be done in february if you like which is the project deadline <laughs> right so that really screwed us over in a big way um and then we made a bad decision and went with uh uh, a Chinese supplier that we hadn't really vetted yet. And as a result, we've got like uh, 600 motors that we couldn't use because they oh. have poor tolerance issues. Yeah. And they're really wobbly. So um, we had to find another German company that actually imports uh, Chinese motors as well. But um, they were a bit more consistent. We could actually talk to someone in the country and they could fit the timeline. So it was. It was hell, really, but we eventually got there. Um, and the rest of the stuff, we were tried to just order it mainly from places where you can actually order online. As soon as we had to hit some sort of like customer service barrier, it was like literally like a brick wall trying to go through it. Because you, you, you didn't have speak like money taped to yourself and they still wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> you just didn't speak the language? Is that what, what it came down to? I mean, in Berlin in particular you can always find someone who speaks the language. Um, it was more just being taken seriously as like, or, or just being treated with uh, any sort of urgency. I think maybe they used to projects happening over a longer timeline, which is fair enough. I mean, we were really sprinting really hard. So, I mean, we was just sort of like trying to pull everyone along with us. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I guess I think the that, like, language thing is tricky in the sense that they, they, I think, take you more seriously if you are speaking the language. Of course. Well, I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a language barrier is real and it goes way yeah. beyond language. Like language is the communication of ideas fundamentally. Yeah. It's the transmission of ideas. And if, you know, each language is like a lens that mm. colors that transmission and mm. uh yeah if you don't speak the same language there's a fundamental there's, there's a fundamental difficulty in transmitting like basic concepts because the intonation and and the yeah yeah shit gets lost in translation you know like a nuance gets lost yeah, in yeah, translation yeah. and uh you know we have a, we have problems with that with our chinese suppliers and it, it's taken us years of working with these suppliers to to form a, a solid foundation of communication where even though they mm. don't or they they don't we don't speak mandarin they don't speak very fluent english yeah. they know what we're saying and they know what we mean when we say certain things yeah as it relates to their product right so it's like yeah, it that takes time, and if you if you don't have time, you don't have established suppliers. Yeah, man, that's that's a thing that can sink a project. Yeah, I think we came very close on a number of occasions to that sinking us. Uh, going forward, I think we would definitely have at least someone full time or on call who can speak and write in German. <laughs> If we're going to build yeah. our projects in Germany, uh, I think it would be like a critical, like, and then like, you know, a very fluent speaker 
because none of us could learn it in as much enough detail to get to that point. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it seems like somebody, somebody at the the makerspace, you could have been like, "Hey, homie, yeah. we need you to be our like." Liaison. Yeah, I mean, we did that on a few occasions if we needed phone calls made for more urgent stuff, <laughs> and it was it was definitely useful. That made things happen a bit much smoother when you did, but at the yeah. same time, you don't want to like you know bother everyone to be translator and stuff. No, then well, at a certain, at a certain point, you got to be like. You know, you're on the team now. You're you're high. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So that was so in the end, how long was the full project? You said it was it was supposed to be four months, but it ended up taking how long? So we installed it on twentieth of February, I think. Um so I guess that was like six months ish. That sounds yeah, to do something completely new of that complexity, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, I think we could have done maybe a slightly made some slightly better design decisions if we had that six months up front. But at the same time, like, you know, you need to light the fire up your backside so you can get moving. So it was it was yeah, useful yeah. in that sense. And it made us really get a, get like a lot of work done in a very short period of time. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think, yeah, looking back, I think it's like, a fairly reasonable time frame. Now that we have done a lot of the groundwork, we had to, you know, build a lot of stuff from scratch. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And most of the, most of the I physical... try not to agree to four months again. That's for sure. Yeah, of course. So, so the physical frame for that thing was all three D printed. Is that right? So there's a uh, steel base sort of platform, I guess. And then bolted to that is an aluminium post. And then there's like a, uh, aluminium subframe that's all bolted aluminium components. And that's like, I a, saw that it was, it's almost like, uh, like one of those expanding spheres, you know, everything's like this. Yeah. Like yeah, a Hoberman like sphere. A Hoberman sphere. Yeah. 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 So it's like a, uh, what is it? Tetrahedron sort of shape. Uh, a cosahedron. Buckyball. Um, yeah. So they're conveniently, because the, the outer shape is a, it's called a uh, dual geodesic icosahedron, and it's pattern number something, something. But conveniently, <laughs> the corners of uh, an icosahedron meet up with the 12 pentagons that you have to have within this shape. Yeah. So that was like the, the the center point for the modularity of the whole system. Yeah. So basically, you can divide this whole thing into twelve symmetrical parts. Yep. Yep. And then, so the outer shell, that's three D printed. The bit okay. that looks like the buckyball. Now, do you think that could have existed without that aluminum subframe? It had to have the 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 Hoberman sphere in the center. Yeah. Um. I think it would have been strong enough if you could have somehow miraculously built it and plonked it on a post. Like it has a lot of strength, but one of the key reasons you need it is for uh, just the assemblability, like the buildability of it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and we're also you know like this thing is super technologically dense. There's like layers and layers and layers of stuff. So it was like a really useful point to attach things to so you could have your core systems in this inner subframe 
and wire all your main bus lines and uh, put your internet switches in there. And then basically to put the rest of it on, you just like, there's two power connections and an ethernet line. And then I like, to, I like to judge the complexity of projects based on zip tie count. Oh man. <laughs> Thousands. So how many zip ties, how many zip ties are in that thing? So that's the real I question. I went through at least like a, a few bags of a thousand of those little ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so I love I how every it. fucking hexagon in there is its own controller. That's yeah. really impressive. And I'm sure that's part of the reason why it's so smooth. Like the animations yeah. are so smooth because you're literally just triggering, you're triggering, you're triggering controllers. It's a very distributed model. Yeah. We tried to see if we could, we, I mean, obviously we explored a lot of options because the, the original one was like a very crude, but actually quite similar in the end type of the approach that we uh, ended up taking. Um, but we were looking at ways where we could do a lot of this communication from like a more central point. So say like have a, a single controller per 41, uh, nodes or something instead of one each yeah but in the end uh and it just made it more complicated and you need like you needed crazy amounts of power or whatever or processing power so i mean both conceptually and in terms of like assembly and design from a design perspective it was like it was way easier to just make them all uh uh single units that have their own processing power because and even then they're doing like a shitload of work these things are really working hard like um it's get hot every cycle is being used does it get, um, does it get hot inside inside that's they get quite hot yeah uh but there's like 60 pc fans sort of blowing outwards but that's probably oh, still wow. not enough so it's yeah. loud I think it's not quiet. Uh, they're quiet, quiet. They're those like uh, silent nocturnal ones. The most, the loudest thing is actually the power supplies in the base. And I think I can get that down. But it's actually quite a pleasant sound, really. Like the, even the motors, because you use these silent drivers and it's sort of like waves crashing on the beach. So like it's like whooshy sound, not, well, I'm sure not your traditional stepper sound. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure that the sound of the motor is cascades, and it build it. They, they yeah, couple yeah. together. So it's instead of like, you know, it's like if you look at how it ripples, and you think about mm. what that would sound like, right? Mm. It would be this like, like continual transition of like hum across the sphere as those servos as they trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like really pleasing. It's uh, it's kind of cathartic, I guess. Um, so I told you that the, we the were original working. was one was super loose and shaky and rickety. Yeah, and I saw the, the, v, the V1. But at the same time, you get that same effect where it cascades together and it's sort of nice. But yeah. this was just like a much quieter version of that, a much more controlled uh, version of that. That sounded like, you know, really premium. It didn't sound distracting at all. And then as soon as you get the sound involved as well, I mean, it disappears. You don't even notice. Because it's a it's a sonic installation. There's music yeah. involved in it. Ah, see, yeah. that's not in the video, man. That's not in the video on your website. I don't think. Yeah, we could. We need to do something to sort of describe it, 
a little bit better. We're going to have some more in-depth um, chats about it uh, that will be available soon. But yeah, it's, it's, it's super hard to convey over video because you kind of need to be there. But there's five, as a five-channel granular synthesizer in there. And that is like a full spatial audio experience. So you have these, as the light passes you, so does the sound. And uh, it's, it's really special and you can't really capture that on camera. That's amazing. Yeah, no, for sure. I want to go, dude. I definitely want to go and check this thing out. I know it's like out in the middle of nowhere, but, you know, it's like one yeah. of those things that I would I would travel Back in the day when I was younger, I did a uh, – it's actually what gave me the idea to do this podcast. I, um, I, I traveled through Europe and I just essentially hit up all, as many new media artists and collectives as I could find. And I was mm. just like, hey, this is what I'm doing. You guys are doing amazing shit. Let's get a beer. You know, and I, I met so many fucking cool people, dude. And, but I went and I traveled to every one of them. And that's how I traveled through Europe. And it was really nice. cool. You know, it was like, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. It was a really cool couple of months where I was just like, you know, my destinations in like throughout Europe were just like cool artist collectives. That's an awesome way to do it. I mean, every, you know, if, yeah, it was, it was cool. like half the time I was crashing on people's couches, you know, like just other artists couches. Half the time I was, uh, you know, Airbnb it and then just, visiting their studios but i met so many cool people man like nice. yeah it was a really amazing trip that's awesome maybe i have to try that one day yeah i mean it was you know i didn't have a lot happening at that time you know like i didn't have that much that many projects happening it was like in between yeah two two bigger projects but uh it was it, oh, it was right after the touch designer summit in berlin okay yeah oh, yeah it was I can't remember what year that was, but uh, that was that was a cool year. You ever been to? Uh, you, you ever been to? Um, are you into Touch Designer at all? Or you? Uh, you said that your programming crew use uh, Open Frameworks. They're just like straight up. They they used to, but now they've written their own framework based on in Rust. It's called uh, Nano. You were telling me about that. So yeah. that's a framework. That's not even like a. That's not even like an environment. That's that's like its own. It's yeah. it's, it's like it the Rust version of Open Frameworks, and okay. they've they've developed that from the ground up themselves. Um, so it's yeah, it's not as it's not like a UI or anything, but you can you can do anything in it, and then yeah. it's because it's a more modern language, it's more reliable and faster. It's yeah, it's sort of like the. A future version of open frameworks i guess if you want to go into that really low level stuff yeah yeah that's cool um, yeah and i'm i'm i mean i can do very basic programming but if you're gonna compare me to them they're just like way above their proper so programmers i've always been like platform agnostic almost you know we've used a number of different uh, environments to do mm. our pixel mapping and, and to write, you know, write the, the looks that we, we display on these installations. Um, it's almost like you, you can't choose something that is so 
or we can't choose something that is so niche and so specific that there's only like a, a couple people in the world that know how to use it. Because if, if mm -hmm. we do that and we, we do an installation, like a complex installation with a platform like that, we're hosed if something has to get changed and those people aren't around. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it yeah. really is like, if you're going to do something that's standalone, it just sits there and runs, does its own thing and just hop, you know, it just does its own thing forever, then it's fine. But if you ever want to make changes or if there's a mm. problem, you can really run into problems. You can run into issues by choosing a super like unique and uh, a niche platform. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is like, uh, like, if, yeah, I guess it depends what sort of projects you're doing with this project. I don't think you could have done it with, any sort of out of the box um, pixel mapper or something. It's just the way that it's written is not like anything that exists right now because we're using spherical coordinates, not not like 2D arrays that are mapped. No, These I agree with you 100%. Like, yeah. I think that yeah. maybe, you know, I've seen things that are of similar complexity mm. done with, with touch, you know, um, which is yeah. not real a program it's an environment you know so yeah yeah i guess with with something like um nano you can create your own environment if if that's if if any of those are not sort of meeting the needs that's when you would go there and i guess you, yeah you, the trade-off is that you rule out any other programmer unless unless they've got to you know get training on that code or that system yeah. Well, you know what, yeah, what works tricky. really well with, with that with that paradigm is a one-off marketing installation or something that was, was, was happening for like a few days. Mm. You know, if you had like an event, like a festival or a stage, a stage show, and you designed something similar where it was a very complex physical installation, you could do the programming in a, in a, in a environment like that, because it's only going to exist for a short period of time. And once it's done, you know, it's done. It's a moment in time. Yeah. And I guess it comes down to the, the requirements for the future access. Like for yeah. us, it was, it, there's, it's quite clear that no one else is going to reprogram. This, this isn't just something you can plug your laptop into and have a go at. Right. But it's very different to many other installations where the client needs access to that to change or to make their own content or to bring in other content creators, which is definitely like another awesome way to do things. Yeah. It would be cool if we could make a platform where people can, you know, have, I guess, like a sandbox to play in that is either maybe like compatible with one of those out of the box environments i guess i think it's definitely possible i mean we basically we just need to translate you know their outputs into our inputs i don't know man i, I you yeah. know it, it seems like you can focus on one of two directions you know as, mm -hmm. as somebody who's developing really unique software right you can say this is my tool this is part of my art and my art yeah. is an expression that i use this very custom tool that i built to create this very 
specific output that is unique to me or my crew and my artist style. Mm. Or you can say, I'm going to make a product that I'm going to yeah. then sell to other artists or, or make available to other artists for them to create their own art. You can, those are two, two paths. And yeah, I think and that equally valid and awesome. I mean, I've seen amazing results from projects where people have intentionally from the get go set out to make this accessible to other content creators, whether they make like a development kit or something for them to create it with or make it accessible with common programs. Yeah. It's really awesome to see the stuff people come up with when you sort of give them control of your artwork and then they give their own impression on top of it as well. You can get some amazing results. Well, then that's the question. It's like, what is yeah. the art? Is the art yeah, the output yeah, yeah. from your tool or is the art the tool itself? Yeah. You know, I've talked to a bunch of people on this podcast about that, how like the tool shapes the art and then mm -hmm. the needs of the art shape the tool. And it's the cycle, right? Where it's like in a really successful environment, right? Or, or like with a successful tool artist ecosystem, it's a feedback loop that continually evolves. Yeah. But yeah, I think that really interesting to see what other people would do it. If we could make that abstraction. Yeah, but then you start then you start dedicating time yeah. to making it, it accessible versus yeah. in, in improving the functionality. So it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm good friends with some some guys in Barcelona, or they're not in Barcelona, they'd probably be upset because I told them <laughs> I called them Barcelonians. But their uh, their their toolkit is very specific to their artist crew. Right. And they it's it is it's another like musical instrument. They're musicians and they develop this this platform that allows them to create beautiful light patterns through the same set of tools that generate the audio that they express, you know, in their installations. Yeah. And um, they have no no intention of making that public. That is very much like, you know, that that's what enables them to create very unique, specific installations yeah and that's a i mean i don't think we would make this one public that all the tools to create are open source and you can access like you know libraries and all that but yeah i mean it's kind of like do you let someone you know appropriate a picasso painting and just paint over the top of it or something <laughs> like or is it just like a shared piece or well, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, I think that what you've done, right? I think that Morph, you would never make Morph accessible as a canvas, really. I mean, maybe you would, but it's the software. It's like the, it's like the screwdriver that you used or the paintbrush that you used to yeah. paint the Picasso. Would yeah. you let somebody else use that paintbrush if it was a really <laughs> special paintbrush? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, super interesting question. I mean, yeah, it's it seems like such a different thing, but it's also very similar in many ways because, yeah, we are creating artworks that aren't intended for people to do anything with. I think you guys uh, should yes. just keep on going with uh, – you guys should just keep, keep producing unique pieces of work with that tool. 
Well, that's the that's the the goal. Um, yeah. And I mean, these guys put so much effort into this thing, mostly because it's applicable to all all the other things we can do. Basically, if we have, you know, an electronic product that can take data, we can now control that in all sorts of crazy ways. So. Yeah, yeah, man. I have so many. Pro- I like want yeah. to talk to you at a later date about a bunch of different projects. I just don't want to do it on this podcast. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's really cool, man. It's super, super compelling. Like the the system that you guys have created. So yeah, you it's have really no exciting idea for what's us. next, though. There's no that you guys are just kind of gonna see what happens essentially as a, as a crew. Yeah, I mean, we don't have any sort of locked in thing. And I mean, I guess the the benefit of being super mobile as we are is we don't have any overheads either. We can be wherever we want. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is definitely the, the whole aim of this thing is to be you know, a bit of a launching point to do bigger and better projects and have more choice in the clients that we choose and all that sort of stuff. So we're just, yeah, we're not going to rush into anything just for money's sake. To us, the more important thing is to make uh, really cool artworks um, for our own gain, really. I mean, we didn't, hopefully we can make money on future projects, but there's minimal made on this one because it was more like a a passion project (laughs) to get us out there, put us on the map. Yeah. I mean, it's always a trade-off, right? I mean, Mm. there's you have to make money to survive and you also have to make money. Like as soon as you start to support a crew, right? Like if you have like a crew who's like, you know, they're relying on, on the projects that you bring Mm -hmm. in or your team brings in in order to survive, then all of a sudden you're, you're responsible for people and you have to feed that machine. Right. But, um, there are lots of projects that we've taken just because, they're compelling concepts. Yeah. In fact, there's a couple projects that we're working on right now where I'm just like, it's almost like I have an idea for an art piece that I want to produce. And there's a client that has, you know, a conference or like whatever. They have a live event and they're like, make me art, art for me. <laughs> and they're just like, okay, well, uh, what if we do this? And then when your thing is done, maybe we'll take it home. <laughs> maybe we'll display it at our gallery, you know, like who knows, but it's almost like you, you use those, those oppor- as opportunities as funding sources to just pay for the art. And it's like, all right, well, you know, if the budget is a hundred X, you know, it's like a hundred points and you spend 95 points to build that fucking art and you only make five points, then whatever, you know, yeah. it's like, at least you got to make your thing. And I think that's, that's what you're describing there is like, Absolutely. you know, maybe your thing cost a hundred, you paid, you know, 85 points out of a hundred, yeah, yeah. yeah. whatever you still made the thing. And that's going to be like, what defines you as an artist and an artist crew. You yeah, that do was those. super important for us. And we all, I mean, it was one of the things we all, were really really well aligned with um was that we didn't like making money wasn't the goal here it was making the artwork and we made a lot of decisions based on around that 
that we probably didn't have to make. Um, it's definitely not a requirement contractually or even aesthetically or anything to get the thing over the line. But in the end, those decisions built up into this this thing that made it like way more epic than we would if we would have just you know stuck to the very strict brief. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty. You had you had a lot of creative freedom. Absolutely, we were really careful with that. Um, I think the client would have had more input if we allowed it. They would have been, but we were pretty clear with that up front, and they were okay with it. They put a lot of trust in us. Nice. It was like the ideal client, really. In the end, I mean, we had very few meetings and. When we did, it was just like, this is what we're doing. It was like, wow. it wasn't really a back and forth saying, oh, no, you should do this. It was just like, okay, that's cool. So they put a lot of trust in us. And it was really, really cool. That's that's awesome. It was, so was, yeah. it, was it actually like Count Dracula that you were working for? Or was, was it the marketing firm that was behind the watches? Or like, who, who was the, like, how did that break down? Like who was so, the client that you were interfacing with? Was it the, the, the artist with the castle or was it the, so the, the guy company? with the castle is not an artist. He owns the watch brand. He oh, I thought that was hired, the artist. No, oh, so he, he hired um, our client, I guess, as the yeah. curator and they mm-hmm. curated the gallery. So it was him and, I mean, he's probably got a team of people, but him and um, his uh, manager, I guess. And we, but that was our main point of contact was with them. We didn't speak to the, the owners of the castle at all. Um, I would because, want to know, man. I would like, who are these people with a castle? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we met him. He doesn't speak much English, but he's definitely looks like he owns a castle. Pretty nice. He's a super <laughs> nice guy, though. That's hilarious. That's cool. Yeah, what a what a trippy world. That's uh, <laughs> it's it's a really you know someday, man. Someday I'll own a castle. I swear to God. Well, we we should talk in like twenty years. I'll have a castle. All right, cool. Make a ultimate new media art castle. <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That would be very cool. Yeah. So how long? When when are you going back? Do you know? Do you have like solid plans? You're probably like, get me the hell out of Australia. I can't leave my house. Yeah, it is a bit of a struggle. <laughs> um, in a few weeks' time, I think I'll go back. Um, just got to sort out packing things up here and then, yeah, off we go. There's no real solid plans of what happens when I get there, but I've got, I've already doing some freelance work to sort of keep me going until more projects come up or whatever. What kind of freelance work? Uh, I mean, one, I'm building this weird, the mechanicals for this weird robot thing. It's like a robot tripod. Can't tell you much about the product, but basically it's like a so it's product tripod work. thing. Yeah, yeah. One's yeah, yeah, so one's product design slash engineering. The other one is also that I'm building like a three D printer that prints clay. Oh, cool! For people at that uh, that one uh, of the makers maybe. there, yeah. And there's some other stuff that might pop up as well with other people there. But have you seen by the, that? I mean, point, I'm sure you've, other things. Huh? you've seen those printers that are doing houses. Like that's yeah. super fascinating, man. Like I'm looking yeah. at, at buying property right now and I'm like looking at like all different ways to, to build houses and like, man, like 
doing a 3D printed house would be so, so cool. It would because be really cool. Some of the really well designed ones are beautiful. Like yeah, really yeah, it's beautiful. awesome. Like I mean, the textures you can create with those layer lines is amazing. I don't think they've even really started exploring that. These the pieces are that uh, this person is making in particular are very textured intentionally just by the movements of the printer. You've probably seen similar stuff. And I yeah. think you can apply the same thing to houses. It would be really interesting. So instead of like painting it or whatever, you just give it a texture. Well, that's the, that's very much the style of like the earth ship movement. I don't know if yeah. you, you know, like, a, you know, that is, it's a, it's a very, you know, it comes out of like the 60s, 70s, 80s. They were doing this in Arizona. And uh, mm. essentially it was like using raw materials. They use like a lot of like, tires like tires stacked and then covered with clay and then they use things like bottles that that penetrate through those walls to allow natural light to come in and Uh, it reminds me you know like the 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 3d printed houses that style reminds me of very much of like the earthship movement and uh Mm. yeah you know with the right architect you Mm. can design some incredibly artistic space Mm. using that uh using those methods yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. It'd be interesting to see what comes out of it. There well, it's kind of really the same awesome technology. Yeah, it's the yeah. same technology is what you're describing, yeah. like a clay three D yeah. printer. What do they do yeah. with What do they do with a clay three D printer? Like, what do you What are uh, they building with it? This one's mostly um, like dinnerware, like cups, plates, bowls, oh, interesting. or like carafes and stuff. But you, I mean, yeah. you can do all sorts of different things. This particular project is based around those items, um, and they're really like beautifully organic and textured. It's it's really interesting. You get this contrast because it's made very much made by a machine. But once yeah. this thing's all finished, it's hard to tell really. Apart from, I mean, if you look deeper into it, you're like, okay, a human's probably not going to make this. You can't cast this this uh, unless you're like you know rolling out little beads or whatever right so you get these really intricate textures and details and it's quite cool so you know you said you're a rhino user yeah yeah grasshopper man i'm like envisioning some parametric you know like beautiful parametric sculpture worked into dinnerware we're at, we're just finished a project using like it's a very parametrically designed shape, you know, yeah. grasshopper intensive. And it lends like, itself really well to it. I love that shit, man. It's like, yeah, that's why I moved from, you know, I, I used to do like uh, lighting for the stage. I was, a, I was into like show production. And I'm, you know, when I started this company, I was like, I want to take the same technology and apply it to like cool shapes, like much cooler mm. s- structure and sculpture than, than you can, have on stage because uh you know in the end stages are all trusts it's all the same shapes sticks of trust and uh with architecture you can get really creative you know both with materials and shape Mm. Uh, yeah it's cool though yeah it's pretty exciting i love using rhino for this sort of stuff i think it's like the ideal program for it yeah be super fluid and creative but then you can also create these insane algorithmically generated forms. So, or at the same time, you can generate a pixel map from that if you need to. 
Well, that's actually like where we started using uh, Grasshopper is a way to get pixel locations in 3D out into our, our yeah map, mapping software. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely a few times weapon of choice. That's how you. That's how you mapped morph. Is that what you said? Uh, essentially, so we're going to map for. It's basically just like a CSV file for the nodes, so the central yeah. point. But also the. So the panels have about 150 LEDs in them, and each of them are addressable. We're not addressing them at the moment because they haven't written that sort of pipeline. All right. But so each each of the hexagons has 150 pixels. Yeah. Holy shit, man! They're so yeah. dense. What yeah. density is the using strip? It's about 10 mil. So there's a 30 mil-ish sort of gap between the, the pixel and the diffuser. And that's what gives it its really nice flat look. You must be using like 144 pixel per meter. Like, yeah, what's the, you said it's 10 millimeter distance between pixels. Yeah. So what, what size pixels? What size pixels so are you using? 50, 50 pixels. Oh, there's 50-50s. Yeah. So the pretty big pixels. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it was like a balance between the pixel density and the diffuser distance. Um, yep. So I was just, you know, basically I'd written a script to, to fill the panels with the pixels because they it's, it's quite hard to get. None, none of the shapes are symmetrical, essentially. They're all like a bit like of a squashed hexagon. So we actually built nine different LED panels, all unique. Oh, wow. um, and those pixel layouts are generated in Grasshopper so that you get like a nice evenly distributed um, spiral within the panel. Um, and yeah, you can individually address them. And we've got basically, if you know a panel type and its location, we've also got you know CSV files for that panel type so you can know where every single pixel is on that type of panel and, and its orientation so you backlit those that's right i was thinking like in my mind i was envisioning like a ring of pixels around the outside of the hexagon but you're not doing yeah. that you're, you're actually you made a panel in the back that actually makes more sense yeah like, how the hell do you cram 150 pixels into the perimeter of one of those hexagons they're so small oh but, no, no yeah they're custom panels yeah i don't have one with me but i don't have it um yeah it was a super tedious process laying them all out in KiCad, but i mean it ended up being that you have this super super smooth diffused surface and you can't see any pixels uh, how hard would it be it, to scale that how hard like would if you it wanted be to make a if you wanted to make a smaller or a bigger diameter sphere yeah how how hard would it be to scale that not that hard. I mean, going smaller is harder. <laughs> kind of super tightly packed as it is now. Um, yeah. But I mean, the only thing you have to change is the outer panel. The The rest of it can be used almost as is. We, I mean, we'd probably make different changes based on what we've learned, but the, the whole thing is designed to be um, scaled. And that's one of the reasons we chose Ethernet in the end, because you know, you can just scale things up and add, you know, add switches, add networks. Yeah. And then there's no like distance requirement either. Like you could make this thing the size of a building 
with the same number of panels and it would still work. You just need bigger motors. Yeah, well, good luck finding that client. <laughs> I, I would like I would like a building made out of articulated kinetic. Oh yeah, <laughs> one of my pipe dream concepts at the moment is like this whole experience, like massive warehouse sort of room that you go into, and there's like a sentient morph that roams about doing the same thing. Man, one of my first years at Burning Man, there were these. Uh, these robots and it was like an aluminum sphere made out of bands of, of metal. Right. Mm -hmm. And somehow they were able to like swing a mass around inside to make it roll forward or roll back. They could make it like roll in 360 degrees and they made a fleet of these things, man. Sweet. And they just, let them, they just let them loose and they could see they could, like, you know, do basic perception of their environment. Like, oh, there's something here. I'm going to move the other way. And they literally just, like, let them loose on the playa. <laughs> and she just rolled around. It was really cool, man. It was, like, yeah, it was very, it was very, it was very impressive and it was impressive and creative at the same time. And it was back in, like, 2010, 2011. It's a while ago. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I would, uh, if we could find like, a, yeah, if technology allowed, like a super power dense battery that was mega lightweight, it would be awesome to like pack all the power into the center of this sphere and then have it roll under its own power. Yeah. Because if you push the the actuators, theoretically, you can propel the ball. Sure, you'd have if to make you'd have to make those things really durable, really yeah. fucking durable. You know, if you're gonna have those things rolling around the floor, you know. Mm. So you know what would be cool? I was actually thinking about taking what you've built and actually unfolding it into like a like a waveform surface that could be mm -hmm. hung. And that would be super sexy. You know what I mean? Like a like a ceiling. Yeah. Like, yeah. Essentially. Or or some kind of canvas that that I mean, White Void did something similar. If you look at their website, they have uh they did it with O L E D panels. Uh, and I yep. don't think it was kinetic. Uh, I've actually seen it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but doing something like that would be really compelling. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that would probably be cool. easier too because there wouldn't be so much packed electronics. It wouldn't be like all wrapped into a sphere. Yeah, planar stuff is definitely far simpler to package. The probably the most difficult aspect of the project is the fact that it's a sphere, and that was one of the original reasons I made it. Because as I said, I was making this node that was the design, just as this single element. And I had a bunch of ideas to apply it to different shapes and surfaces uh, to demonstrate the flexibility of the system. And the ultimate test for that to me was the sphere. So that's why I ended up choosing the sphere. Yeah. <laughs> because it was the most difficult way of doing it. So was it your concept? Did you, yeah. I, did you create that concept? Yeah. And did that come, come out of your, like, were you thinking about this six years ago when you were, when you were in your, your, your course, your electronics class, you're like, I want to do, like, did you have that concept or just evolved? I wasn't as uh, developed at that stage, but I was thinking that, I mean, one of the earliest uh, projects I was working on was, it was just, I literally, I rendered concept of digital clay 
I think I was frustrated with learning CAD at the time. We would have been quite early um, into that process. But something that you could mold and shape and then in real time have that model show up on your computer. So you could like free from for model in physical space. Mm. So that was like one of the seeds for it. But then I was uh, sort of on separate tangents looking at this kinetic stuff. Um, and I guess... Yeah, I mean, it sort of just like evolved into this thing. It wasn't just like a light bulb moment. I'm, I'm making a kinetic sphere or anything. Yeah, yeah. But it was definitely a def, like a, a, a set a path through this sort of like going through this rabbit hole, being fascinated by kinetic elements and lights. And I actually wasn't even going to illuminate it at one point. It was more important to me to make these fluid textural shapes. Yeah. But the lighting it's so, so, it's so much cooler. It, man, it, the way that the light and the motion play together. Yeah. I, I would love to talk to the the guys who did the programming. Yeah, you like, definitely got on a chat with them. They're super interesting to chat with. Yeah, I mean, introduce us at some point, you know, but it's yeah, the way that the way that they created motion that that responds and combines naturally with with the the, the brightness of those yeah. pan- like you watch it and you're like the brightness is also the the extrusion distance from the center it makes so much sense you know like it, when you look at it you're just like it visually yeah. it just yeah. makes sense yeah and that sort of that the way of treating it came from my project originally one of the earliest things i was driving was this tiny uh, nine nine sort of pixel array when it wasn't even pixels at that point uh, and then using a processing sketch to uh, drive it with a luminosity of pixels. Yeah. But then these guys have taken it to like many, many levels beyond that. And it's it's like the ultimate application of it. So would you work on a project that's not kinetic? I mean, I've, I've worked on other projects that aren't kinetic before. It's definitely more fascinating for me but working out the mechanics of it. But also... The, I mean, just the systems behind even LED arrays are interesting to me. Yeah. And the, the build process, I mean, the, the more freeform or challenging the build is, the more interesting it is for me. We're working with uh, this this crew right now. They're called O2 Treehouses. And uh, we've got this client. He's um, kind of like a like a crypto, crypto dude. You know, all of a mm-hmm. sudden he's i'm rich holy shit and uh <laughs> the 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 tree like if if you look up o2 tree houses man like the, okay. they make these it's, it's essentially like a buckyball where every hexagon is a window and it hangs in the trees so it's like this glass fucking buckyball and what we're doing is we're illuminating the vertices of of that buckyball um yeah and yeah it's just a really really cool lighting project and it's uh the thing that we're building, man, is it's just it's nuts. It's like one of a kind. Um, nice. It's gonna be That's a really, super cool. Yeah, it's really really cool. And uh, they're here in the Bay too, man. They're they're in uh, they're in Oakland. They're out of a, a warehouse called American Steel, which is where a lot of big Burning Man art is out of. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, this project like popped up, and now all of a sudden it's in like full gear, and uh, we're just like, you know putting this together um in the next month or so but it's it's a really cool design 
Nice. Well, if you need help with spherical LED patterns, the mind buffer guys are certainly. Yeah, well, I was I thinking say. about that. I think we've got like, there's another group that's doing, um, that's doing patterns, doing, they have a light engine that I'm, I'm curious to work with on this one. Mm. But I, I told you about this other chandelier that we're doing. It's like a chandelier, but it's not a chandelier. It's like an entire fucking two room array of hanging pendants. It was supposed to be kinetic, but mm -hmm. the, it just didn't work. Like it's not going to work as a kinetic piece, but we're still creating a really cool, um, waveform shape. It's all generated in, in grasshopper. I'll show you, I'll show you pictures of it later, but, um, there are hundreds of hanging strands of LED. So it's a volumetric piece. Mm -hmm. And, um, it would be interesting to talk to, to talk to both, both sides of your crew. Like we've already talked about it a little bit. It'd be cool to work with you on the, um, you know, the, the electromechanical aspects, but I would love to talk to them about how their system could be used to generate volumetric light patterns. So yeah. three-dimensional light patterns. They're bread and butter. They're, they're, yeah. I would say they're the people to talk to about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, th this is this is a ways off, you know, it's like, it, yeah, yeah, sure. it's, it's in concepting phase, we're just doing the design, but um, yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. Either way, awesome. man, like, I would, yeah, we, we just, we just need to talk like outside of the podcast, blah, blah, blah. It's like, there's so many cool projects, man. And like, I've got, you know, looking at the work that you've done, it's like my mind just lights up with ideas. Like, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> really yeah cool. I don't know why we're keen to collaborate with people. I mean, it's an awesome way to develop new ideas and meeting, you know, other people doing the same thing is always awesome. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's like, uh, it's like half the reason I, I, I do it. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how that that is definitely the reason that one of the reasons that I'm so into light art is the community. It yeah. is, you know, like I really I love talking to other light artists. I love, you know, like the idea, you know, how like talking to people generates new ideas and mm. and just you know the it's the same way with like how a, how a tool can inform your art it's like the environment the creative yeah. environment that you're in informs your art yeah and it's amazing because it's it's art but it's super super technical and there are a lot of mega talented and smart people out there like the systems we're creating for these things are like on a crazy scale of complexity yeah <laughs> well that, that's the that's like, the world that we live in yeah. is, is like the world of creative engineering. Yeah. And that's, and that's like yeah. the you know pinnacle engineering sort of stuff sometimes. Yeah. Well, and sometimes I mean, it's quite all, crude, but also at the same time, it can be like super, super refined and well done. It's quite amazing. Yeah, man. Well, look, science progresses through creativity, yeah. right? It's like, you know, like they, that's what they say about Einstein. He was like more of an artist and you know what I mean? Like he was like, yes, he was a great physicist, but he was really a fucking artist. And that's what progress, that's what pushes boundaries. And I think that that's, yeah. that is, that could not be truer of any, any like industry or any, any practice. Mm -hmm. People who push boundaries are artists because they're using their creativity to do things that have, has not been done. Mm -hmm. and, and every time technology progresses, 
that allows that opens up new doors creatively you know what i mean yeah and then you can take that that new capability and you can be creative with it and that's like yeah yeah i mean that's the most exciting thing about it to me i wish i I was something i wish i'd learned in school because i probably if i had known like this is the cool sort of stuff you can create with science and maths and all these you know things that are most of the time super bland when taught in the classroom yeah if it had been a different approach i would have been so much more engaged during school because i I mean it is the as a way better way to learn these things and to even apply them so i went to a school that was like teaching creative technology but the 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 professors were not that creative and i I feel like (laughs) it takes well it takes a certain type of personality to to learn a technical skill and be creative with it you know creativity is like a slider on your personality it's like some people that slider is pegged at 100 and most of the time it's just somewhere you know like <laughs> whatever and i think that uh somebody who has intrinsic creativity in their personality will go and learn a technical skill and they'll want to do creative things with it and then some people are motivated just by like learning a skill and making a paycheck and that's fine you know like i I feel like the the vast majority of people you know super talented engineers you know their satisfaction comes from solving very complex problems i have that in me like i love a technical challenge but i want to also do things, I want to do new things, you know, and I want to be creative with it. And I think that's like most of our peers share that. Yeah. And I think even like the, you know, the best of the best engineers must have that creative slider up pretty high because you d- you just can't come up with new and innovative solutions without it. Maybe they yeah. didn't go through the artistic pathway, but I think like deep down, when you hit when you're hitting the top and you're most in demand sort of engineering wise, you have to have had that like creative drive to think of these new applications for whatever super mundane thing you're thinking about at the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that is what separates like the best in any industry is the ability yeah. to think outside the box. Yeah. I think it's sometimes I mean maybe it's changing now, but I think like that slider you're talking about could be set a lot higher for a lot more people early on if the, the value for that creativity was a bit was fostered a bit more um but i mean it's well it's i mean like these archaic then, then you're getting into, then you're like really that conversation kind of slides into like stable society is based on people doing predictable things, right? (laughs) It is though, you know, and like it takes a very stable society in order for that society to allow people to think outside the box because thinking outside the box can create instability and that is threatening to people in power, right? Yeah. So, you know, you have like these liberal democracies where art thrives and then you have societies that are really focused on control 
where they actively discourage art and that might contribute to a stable society but i really think it holds those societies back from pushing the boundaries and and yeah i mean that's like you know that's uh, we see that right now throughout the world like there are societies that are, are fucking amazing at building the same thing right yeah and then there are societies which are like pushing the boundaries and those are places where people are freer to be artistic mm. yeah super interesting it is, i think man. sometimes that might be may flip as well because those same people that are just like copying and making the same thing are obviously becoming very wealthy from it and then that society society almost can have more freedom now yeah so then their creativity can kind of shift back there i think we'll see some awesome things coming from that yeah it's it's interesting like i i'm never gonna be a bazillionaire and it's okay you know because my <laughs> i am an artist you know what i mean like yeah. an, that is not rewarded with bazillions <laughs> no, not really no. you know but it's okay man because like i am so fulfilled and i think that most of the artist friends that i have are in the same boat it's like you know i could go and fucking work as a project manager for some you know whatever or or i could do a lot of things and make a lot more dollar points but in the end <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. Yeah. <laughs> you got to make the trade off, you know, it's like, all right, whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think anyone who does this is definitely smart enough to do any number of different, very high paying jobs. <laughs> like you said, it's yeah. just, it's not rewarding at all. I'm happy to yeah. cough up that, pay, pay that money to the, do cool stuff to be a bit more filled up yeah well it's cool it's cool seeing what you guys have done it's really inspiring and it's uh yeah just Thanks. definitely want to keep in touch and hopefully we can work together that'd be really yeah, fun absolutely yeah i'd love to cool i'm gonna call it it's been like almost two fucking hours man it's been a good oh, conversation yeah. <laughs> i know <laughs> um yeah thanks thanks again for doing this let's um just keep in touch and uh yeah, yeah. i'll hook, hook you up with the mind buffer guys too that'll be a really interesting chat for you i'm gonna email you after this man like tomorrow yeah. or something like we, we need to have another conversation like i have specific things i want to talk to you about in like you know projects in the next like number of months where i'm just like you guys should be part of this so let's yeah, let's cool, talk have the chat all right brother talk to you soon thanks a lot see you later yep bye